From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Mullady is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd love to hear from you. That number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live. You can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every single Thursday, Father Brian Milady, how are you? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I'm coming to you live from the Legatus Summit in beautiful Orlando, Florida, where the uh, legates have gathered for their annual uh, meeting, where they're equipped and encouraged to really be on the tip of the spear as uh, the heads of Catholic companies that are doing business in a culture that often uh, has a full assault on our Catholic sensibilities about it. And uh, it's a wonderful group, obviously founded by Mr. Tom Monahan, the founder of Domino's Pizza, many years ago. And, Father, I know you've spoken to many Legatus groups down through the years. Yes, I have. So um, we were on pilgrimage during the centenary year of uh, Lourdes. Or not Lourdes, excuse me, but Fatima. And part of that pilgrimage was a trip to Lourdes as well. And I think that to a person, even though we were in Fatima during the, the, the big you know, celebration there, everybody in our group thought there was just something about Lourdes that couldn't be explained that really stuck with them uh, at the end of that whole trip. And you're going to talk a little bit about uh, Our Lady under that title today. Yes, well... I have a great devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes, and part of the reason is because I grew up in the 50s in uh, watching Song of Bernadette, which of course is a somewhat fictional account. The author himself was a Jew who was in a concentration camp, I believe, and promised if he could escape, uh, he had asked the intercession, strangely, of Our Lady of Lourdes. And he read a novel about the apparitions of Lord. But the general thrust of them is very well done. And if you've ever seen Song of Bernadette, it won Academy Awards during the war. And I highly recommend it to you. It has a all-star cast. It's very well written. And in fact, uh, many years ago, I wanted to show it at the university. And the person in charge of the program said, oh, you want to show movies? And I said, well, just, you know, 
show for a minute and watch a bit of it and see if you like it. Well, it begins with this quotation from St. Hilary, and it is, For those without faith, no explanation is possible. For those with faith, no explanation is necessary. And as you know, the story of Our Lady of Lourdes recounts a young girl who during the anti-clerical times, in very serious rationalism in anti-clerical times in France, experienced an apparition of the Blessed Virgin. And she was pilloried by many, many people. For one thing, the priest didn't believe her in the beginning. And after she entered the convent, it's questionable whether Mervozu, who was the mother general, actually believed her either. It's certain that Mervozu did not allow her to go have a canonization process until after she herself, Mervozu, had died. What's strange about Bernadette is there's nothing unusual about her life except the apparitions and also her own humility in approaching them. And as you know, she was constantly encouraged to ask the lady her name. And when she finally did, she didn't really understand it because she wasn't deeply versed in theology. They say she was stupid, but I don't think that's true. I think she was just a very simple person. And I know from French she spoke a dialect. She didn't speak proper French in uh, that. Uh, and so they would have considered her not too bright either. But when Mary said, I am the Immaculate Conception, in 1858 to Bernadette. This is immediately after the dogma had been defined, I believe in 1854 by Pius IX. And so this gave great impetus to the devotion to the Immaculate Conception, which remember is not Christ's conception in Mary's womb, that's the virgin birth. It's Mary's conception in the womb of St. Anne. It was a long held uh, idea in the Western Church, it became a matter of debate because the orders, of course, got on different sides. One side tended to follow St. Thomas, the other done Scotus, Franciscans and Dominicans. And St. Thomas, was a, he didn't mind Mary being sinless after she was conceived, but somehow your explanation of that particular mystery has to affirm that she's among the redeemed. And had, of course, the church at the time celebrated the feast, one of St. Thomas's arguments is that the Roman church did not celebrate the feast, St. Thomas would have found a perfectly logical explanation for affirming it. But as is often the case with people's followers in the old school tie, they weren't willing to budge and you know, that's why it took a papal infallible ex-catheter statement to finally make clear this great and beautiful truth. And they did accept Dun Scotus's explanation, which was that Mary was among the redeemed, but it was in light of her future participation in the events of our Lord, and especially his passion, that God miraculously touched any effects of original sin from her soul and her body. So this is the origin of the famous anaphon, uh, totus, uh, you know, you are all beautiful, O Mary, tota pulchra es, 
and because original sin does not have any effect on you. So all this was encapsulated in the struggles which occurred trying to demonstrate that Bernadette was either nuts or truly a um, vessel of grace. And you remember a part of the apparitions were a spring that she produced because she was told by Mary to go and bathe in the waters of the spring. She thought the Virgin was referring to the river Gav, but when she went there, the embarrassed Virgin said, no, no, here, here's the spring. Eat of the plants and dig. Well, of course, there was no evidence of a spring there at all. And everybody thought she was nuts when she started to dig in it. But eventually, water began to seep into it. The waters are still with us today. And they've healed thousands of people. You can find all the crutches and all these things in Lourdes. And for those who make a trip to Lourdes, I did this myself, you know, bathing in the waters of the spring. Because they have like bathhouses and volunteers that help you to bathe in the waters of the spring. is considered to be, um, you know, something akin to almost like a second baptism of realizing the grace of God in your soul. I made my pilgrimage by myself, and I couldn't find any place to stay but a little French hotel. And I knew it was French because there was no place to bathe, um, right across the uh, bridge from the grotto. So except for that one difficulty, uh, I just had a beautiful view. I just opened the doors of my bedroom, and the grotto and the basilica were right there. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you experienced one of these, but one of the beautiful things about Lord are the various processions in different languages. And the, the most wonderful one is the Blessed Sacrament procession. And it's one of the most cherished moments of my life that on Sunday they have the Blessed Sacrament procession and they end, at least in the summertime, in front of the basilica and they turn on all the lights on the basilica and at least in the 80s, everyone sang the glory from the Mass of the Angels in Latin. And it was a marvelous experience of the Catholicity of the Church. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hot off the presses for the month of February from EWTN Publishing, Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto by Marlene Watkins. She recounts 20 astounding true stories of miracles at Lourdes, uh, including her own watershed healing, which inspired her to establish Our Lady of Lourdes Hospitality North American Volunteers and become its very first volunteer. You'll also discover a man who was struggling with faith and was drawn to Lourdes, where he met the Blessed Mother. 
how a young woman's wish was fulfilled and helped numerous souls, and much, much more. Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, uh, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto by Marlene Watkins. It's available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. By Catholic Shop, EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. First up today is Nancy in Cumming, Georgia. She's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Nancy, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Father Brian, it is a privilege to speak with you. And I have to tell you, I had the exact same experience. I woke up one morning. I'm an amputee uh, within the last seven years, so it's, it's new for me. And I thought, it's the 100-year anniversary of Fatima. I have to go. I have to go. I just felt it on my heart. Um, I called a friend of mine, and we gathered six friends. There were six of us. And we went to Fatima, and, and that was nice. But we went to Lourdes, and I just I can't even bring it into words, what was in my heart. It was the most precious experience of my life will always be nothing could top it when we went to go in the bath i thought well how is this going to work because i can't get my leg wet but they are so accommodating for handicapped people which Mm -hmm. they which they are not in fatima sadly Mm -hmm. i must say because in lords um they have scooters you can rent you know i felt very free and very able to do and go um, but they put me on a stretcher with my, you know, because I had my leg off. And the nun, Sister Anne, was at my 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 head at, on my left. She was in charge of all the nuns. I think she'd been there thirty years. And they put me on a sheet. Now it was freezing cold. I think it was thirty some degrees outside. Yeah, because this is in the so mountains. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, gorgeous. I mean, the scenery is is not to be believed. But they put me on a sheet. Now, they had to undress me, and I had on layers. I have no memory at all of raising an arm or doing anything that would have, um, you know, facilitated getting my clothes off. I have no memory at all. They gave me a statue of the Blessed Mother to hold and talked to her about my intentions while they got me ready for the bath. And I never remember letting go of it. And then they picked me up. There were six sisters, three on each side, and they dumped me down in the water, and they took me out. I'm sorry. I get so emotional. And I was perfectly dry. And then they dressed me. (laughs) And um, I went to bed every night in this fantastic Hotel Modern that is right at the entrance to to um, to the grotto and all. And I went to bed every night hearing the procession sing Ave Maria. I mean, it, yeah. it, anybody that has any possible a chance or opportunity to go to Lourdes, don't don't miss it. Because it all really, right. I don't have a lot of money, but the Lord made it all work. And it was, I, I don't know what it is about Lourdes, but there is definitely a spirit of joy and and love of the Lord there, for sure. Thank you. God bless you, Nancy. We appreciate that phone call, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you agree wholeheartedly with everything she had to say, Father. 
Oh, yeah. The interesting thing is the Knights of Malta have a thing in pilgrimage every May, and bishops come and take the sick in. Um, one of our priests, it's like a retreat for him. He loves it, and every year he goes. So, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is amazing. And one thing she mentioned that I, I do recall is, First of all, no matter what time of year it is, no matter what the temperature is, because it's a spring, the water is ice cold, always. Oh, yeah. And you come out of, they completely immerse you, and you come out of that bath almost bone dry. Yeah. It's an interesting phenomenon, but I, yeah, I agree with Nancy. I would yeah. recommend it to anybody who has not uh, had the opportunity to go there. And quite frankly, if you have, I'd go again, because I plan right. to do that myself. Um, I've got an email here from Kurt. He says, is suffering required in order to attain heaven? If so, how could God be loving if he required such a thing? Well, the only reason suffering is required to attain heaven is because of original sin. I mean, had Adam and Eve not committed the original sin, there would be no suffering. And you can go to heaven without any problem. In fact, uh, in Our Lady's case, you remember... Uh, she did not experience a corrupting death, one that involved suffering. She passed from earth to heaven, it's true. She has her body now, which nobody else does but Jesus. But she never experienced the pain of uh, sense concerning uh, a death. And uh, her, I always like to say it was like Snow White eating the poison apple and falling into the sleep of the living death, you know, with the rosary cheeks and all this business. No, suffering, its primary cause for us is original sin. So had Noah, God didn't will the original sin, he willed us to go to heaven. But of course he knew in his foreknowledge that we would not go there except on our terms, some of us, which is the same as the original sin. Uh, We didn't create heaven, we didn't give us hell's grace, it's a gift we received. And if we don't look on it as a gift, we look on it as something we can demand, which is not the way lovers act. So um, the only reason suffering enters the picture is because of the loss of grace. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-EWTN. Three nine eight six. Douglas would like to know: Did the father beget the son through knowledge? Well, it's attributed to knowledge, but all three of the persons are knowing. All three of the persons are loving. But because we talk about Christ as the uh, and His divine person as the Word, He proceeds after the manner of knowing, because we call the Holy Spirit love. He proceeds in the Father and the Son after the manner of loving, which allows us to distinguish the persons of the Trinity. But remember, again, all three of the persons are are eternal. All three of the persons are equal in being. All three of the persons are knowing. All three of the persons are loving. The only distinction in the Trinity is one that doesn't involve any change, and that's the relationship of origin. So the Word has this eternity after the manner of the Word. The Holy Spirit has it after the manner of love. But uh, um, this doesn't alter the fact that they all three are one and co-equal in their divinity. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Plenty of open phone lines and time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Tom. He is in Westchester, New York, listening on the Veritas app. Tom, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, guys. Uh, just a really, really quick comment. I grew up listening to my grandmother tell me that when she went to Lourdes and got put in the bath, uh, she came out completely dry. I just heard the previous caller say that the same thing happened to her. So I just wanted to share that because uh, it meant something to me uh, to hear someone else say that their experience was the same as my grandmother's. And Great. That's, that's, all, that's all I wanted to say. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call today. You've hit sure. a nerve. You've hit a nerve with Lourdes, uh, Father Milady. Yes. <laughs> Um, Jordan would like to know what evidence is there for the Immaculate Conception, since we've been talking about that. It's timely. Uh, well, I don't know what you mean by evidence. <laughs> the fact that Mary wasn't conceived without was conceived without sin. I mean, how do you how do you find evidence for that? That's something between the soul and God. Um, if you mean scriptural evidence, well. It's, it has to do with everything that the Virgin Mary does and suffers. She's never described as being anything but a vessel of grace. In fact, remember, the angel says to her, Hail full of grace, not highly favored daughter, like the King James Version translates it. The literal word in Greek is kakarito, which our word charity comes, and mene, which is fullness. So she's really full of grace. Being full of grace is a, another way of saying that she doesn't suffer from any sin, original or actual. And that will be projected back to her own conception. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. Pick up the phone if you've got a question for Father Brian Milady. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Two nine eight five, and you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn dot com. Dan would like to know what does justification by faith and works really mean. <laughs> well, you've not taken, you picked a certainly broad topic. <laughs> and by Justific the way, we have about a minute left, so go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, Saint Paul says we're justified by faith. So the Protestant Reformation took that to mean no sacraments and um, no works of any kind. Now, Luther hedged his bets a bit because he didn't believe in sacraments really, but he could find two in Scripture, so he affirmed them. In his opinion, they were baptism and Eucharist, but of course we don't look on Protestant Eucharist as valid. We do believe the Protestants do have two sacraments, baptism and marriage. However, justification by faith means that we receive grace from God only by being open to receiving his infusion of grace. Now, we look on it as detesting sin from our point of view in time. 
but actually God is always first. So the reason we um, reject sin is because God has given us grace. It's a little bit different than the way the Lutherans look on it. They look on it as psychological confidence. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Congratulations going out to a longtime member of the EWTN radio family. Siouxland Catholic Radio in Sioux City in Storm Lake, Iowa, is celebrating their 15th year as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to Ann Reed and her great team there at Siouxland, Siouxland rather, how am I doing, Catholic Radio from all of us here at EWTN. Still an open line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next stop is Terre Haute, Indiana. John is listening on Covenant Radio. John, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hello, Father. Hi. Um, I was listening to you on the radio on EWTN and uh, um, to Lourdes and uh, uh, St. Bernadette. And I've been there and been in the water and so forth, but I've also been to a chapel, a monastery nearby Paris with the incorruptible bodies of St. Bernadette and St. Saint, uh, 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 Saint, uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, Catherine Labore. Catherine, Catherine Labore, yes. Yeah. And uh, what, what's the church's stand on that, on the, on the incorruptibles? Because they well, looked, to me, when I saw them, they looked, they looked like they had just been laid out in a casket yesterday. Right. Perfect. Well, yeah, well, it's a special privilege given to some people who led especially holy lives so that their bodies don't corrupt after death. And it's not given to everyone, but it's given to some. And notable ones among them would be Catherine Labore, who's buried in Rue du Bac, and, of course, she has a glass casket. And then uh, Bernadette, who's buried in the mother house of the Sisters of Charity of Nevers, who unfortunately are dying because they're too liberal, I would imagine she'll eventually be placed in the diocese somewhere. They sometimes put a paraffin, a small, thin paraffin covering over the skin so that it doesn't look as um, corrupted as it is. But the body is corrupt, incorrupt, that's for sure. So uh, it's, again, a special privilege of people that have been uh, experienced the state of grace. Thanks, John. We appreciate that phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Justin, a first-time caller in New Orleans, Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Justin, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Father. Uh, Father, my question is, in the Office of Readings today, it's the letter of uh, St. Paul to the Galatians, and he talks about how and the the two children born from Abraham, um, one was... Uh, yeah, and, and one was um, the child born from the promise, and one was the child born through natural means. And he, St. Paul relates how the, the covenant in Sinai was from Arabia, 
and how we are, you know, the baptized Christians, we are the new, um, the ones of the promise. And, and, and then it made me reflect about an article I read by Pope Benedict XVI in Communio a couple years back, where he talks about how the Old Testament covenants were not all of permanent nature. And could, would it be proper to say that he's referring to St. Paul in the Galatians, where he says that the Mosaic Covenant, you know, one that came from Mount Sinai, was a temporary one until the Christ came, bringing us the New Covenant? Or how, how, how would I interp- understand all that? Well, uh, many people have reflections on that, St. Augustine, St. Thomas. It's the difference between the old law and the new law. And the new law, um, well, let's take the old law first. The old law um, is a, a law of the promise, actually, because it promises the Redeemer. The old law has three kinds of precepts, ceremonial precepts, one, two, three, through three of the commandments, and juridical precepts, which would be seven through ten of the commandments. One regards God, one regards the neighbor. And then the third kind of precepts are the uh, precepts that have to do with the natural law. Now, all those precepts justify your actions, but not necessarily your intention. They should involve the intention, but you remember the prophets were constantly railing in the Old Testament that the people um, obeyed the commandments, but they did so for the wrong motives, not for love of God. The new law of Christ, its only precepts, have to do with loving God and loving your neighbor, and that's why they're few. At Christ's time, there were 613, I think, I think 13 or 18 precepts the rabbis has identified as part of the old law. The precepts of our Lord are much um, more curtailed, and the reason is because the new law of Christ is the Holy Spirit present in the heart of the Christian, which um, assumes a right intention within. And uh, Jacob and Leah, uh, you know, the, Jacob and, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Esau. Anyway, Esau, yeah. They, they both are allegories for this. So, um, so what hey, Paul is doing is he's taking something from the book of Genesis and he's using it as an allegory for the difference between the manner in which the old law binds and the new law binds. Because remember, I believe the people who was arguing against in Galatians were the Judaizers, who especially wanted circumcision for Christians. And he said, no, because that law has been surpassed now, surpassed by the new law of Christ, which is grace in your heart. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. We appreciate the call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to the Republic of Texas. John is in San Antonio listening on Guadalupe Radio. John, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hello, Father. I have a story, uh, a Lord story to tell you. In 2019, I uh, I tore my rotator cuff in my shoulder, and uh, I had gone to physical therapy. I was actually going to the the, the Spurs, San Antonio Spurs shoulder expert, and uh, going to physical therapy. But we had a Marian trip planned to go to Portugal and Spain, 
and, uh, and we went to Lourdes, and we, had, we also went to Rome. Uh, but when we went to Lourdes, my intention was to go there to get my shoulder healed, and I we bathed in the waters, and it was a it was a healing magical event. And uh, when I came back to town, I went to see my doctor. Uh, I told him what had happened, and he examined me. So, well, Mr. White, if your uh, if your shoulder was like this. Uh, six months after surgery, I would consider the surgery a success. So you don't have to come see me anymore. So, and it's been, it's been beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, John. That's a fabulous story. Thanks for the phone call today. That mm-hmm. opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Rather. Uh, Nancy writes in, if God gave us free will... Then why didn't we have the freedom to choose whether we have free will? <laughs> uh, don't you? That's a contradiction in terms. Uh, <laughs> you do have the cho- choice, in the sense that if, the more you uh, choose sin, the more you enslave your free will. Remember, free uh, God whom to serve is perfect freedom, is a famous line of Saint Augustine's. And the more you love God, the more you set yourself free. But the more you love sin, the less free you become. It's very much like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, where people think they're going to solve their problems with substance abuse, and the substance winds up controlling them. So there's a sense in which you do have free will not to have it. But no one will want to be like that. And what human beings prize most is their freedom of choice. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Simon wants to know, where does the idea of doctrine based on tradition and independent of sacred scripture come from? The idea comes from the New Testament. It comes from the Acts of the Apostles. Because... Uh, the tradition is a doctrine preached. And as you know, the preaching of the apostles came long before the writing of it down, in the New Testament at least, in the Holy Scripture. And the preaching of the apostles is reflected by the Holy Scripture. Because of the way they determined the authenticity of a given gospel was whether in fact it corresponded to the preaching of the apostles. And when it didn't, they rejected it as inspired. So the idea itself comes from Scripture and the experience of our Lord, all authority of heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and teach in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit whatever I commanded you and baptize. So the fact that they were given the um, mission, the Great Commission to teach, is the origin of the truths that we know about faith. And all uh, general councils, all reflections after that, synods, uh, anything else that happens, is just an attempt to express the faith of the apostles, which they had on Pentecost Sunday. Nothing more. In fact, there's a pious story. This is a story now. An ancient tradition that when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on Pentecost, each one of them stood up and uttered one of the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed. Now, obviously, this, that, that didn't happen. But it was an attempt to demonstrate 
the, the creedal statements and the writing down of our Lord's life all were enmeshed in whatever the um, apostles believed about our Lord. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Mike is a first-time caller in the great state of New York, listening on the EWTN app. Mike, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? Hi. Great, thank you. I just wanted to share my experience in traveling to Lourdes. Um, I went about eight years ago. I took my eight-year-old daughter, and just to to begin, it is truly a just a beautiful, beautiful place, um, very moving, almost magical. Um, I also stayed at the Hotel Modern, which a uh, previous caller had mentioned, um, and we were right outside of the... We actually got upgraded into a beautiful suite that had a balcony overlooking the, the courtyard. And it was just, mm. you know, participating in, the, in the, uh, the procession was just an absolutely beautiful and new moving experience. I just wanted to ask you also, if you could, to, to say a prayer for my daughter. Um, she is still having some issues, and um, we're trying to work through them. And she's doing well, but um, if you could say a prayer for her, I would truly appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay. God bless you. We appreciate the phone call, Mike. Yes. And a lot of people now, uh, based on that request, are going to be keeping you da- your daughter in their prayers. Right. We head next to Greendale, Indiana. Grendale, Indiana, excuse me. Sheila is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Sheila, welcome to the program. Hello, and thank you for um, taking my call. I appreciate it. My question is about redemptive suffering. Um, I always thought it was a, growing up, my mother would say, offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. I had a very good mom teaching me this, and I would do this, and I thought, wow, what a passive way of playing. Well, it's not so much fun right now. And I'm feeling frustrated. It's one thing after another, and enduring pain and not sleeping and going places and trying to get better. Last night, I had it out with God. (laughs) And I said, I don't want this, okay? And I don't know why I can't handle this anymore. But if you want me to handle it, you're going to have to show me how. And I just need to know, and I always thought about the saints how they were suffering. Were they always okay with it? <laughs> and this is kind of like, I mean, I really want to be pleasing to God and and be in His will. But for me to get upset, <laughs> you know, I'm human. <laughs> and I well, wonder if you could say something about this. Are you talking about physical suffering or mental suffering? Um, I've got both. Oh, okay. But the... But the Mental suffering is probably related to the physical suffering, right? I'm sorry? The mental suffering is probably related to the physical suffering somehow, right? Um, well, no. I had a traumatic childhood. And okay. um, there are times it renews itself, but I'm fine with that. But right now, I'm in a lot of physical suffering. Okay. Well, you know, I had a sister friend who spent three years dying of bone cancer. 
And she, when she found out she had bone cancer, she said, um, I have for many years looked forward to going to heaven. It's dying I don't fancy. So she uh, was under, you know, they, she had chemotherapy. I call her to encourage her in the, you know, infirmary, and she'd go, talk to me tomorrow, I died today from the chemotherapy. And yet, she never complained. The people in her rest home, the girls that took care of her, she said, we've never had a patient. It was a warm of pleasure to serve. She never talks about herself. She never talks about her sufferings. She's always cheerful. And I remember she and I had a fight over uh, whether purgatory was just a, a, process, a process or a place. And at one point along the line in the fight, she had said, well, if purgatory is the way you say it is, I'm not going, right? <laughs> so when she complained to me one day of this terrible chemotherapy and all this, I said, you know, you really should have kept your mouth shut, young lady. She said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, sister, you said if purgatory was the way I said it was, you weren't going. And in this final illness, you suffered enough for ten purgatories. And her comment, her comment was, you're right, I should have been quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anybody appreciates suffering. We're not sadomasochists, you know. Hit it be harder, the more it hurts, the better it is. No. But we do have a certain hope that the suffering we experience isn't just for our own um, integration, as a person, though, of course, we can offer it for that, our purgatory on earth. But we can also influence the purgation of others. And I think, I don't know what I'll be like if I ever make it there, but uh, I think for many people that's a great consolation. That this isn't wasted suffering. That I'm actually helping people to come to terms with their own lack of integrity by the suffering I'm experiencing, not by my own volition. If it were up to me, I wouldn't want to have it anymore. But since I have it, there's not much I can do about it. What's its positive value? And this is its positive value. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Uh, tomorrow, be sure to check out More to Life at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The Pop Checks talk about stepping stones. They want to know if you're struggling to make a change in your life and you're not sure where to start. They'll help you take the first steps. That's More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Judy. She is in Omaha, Nebraska, a first-time caller listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Judy, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father Brian. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm sometimes not the best at trying to clarify what I'm trying to say, but my question is, if the Church is capable of coming out and changing doctrines like okaying homosexuality, female free, um, no. other things that we have been taught, um, just and well, my question is, is if they do come out and they do make changes like this, do we continue to follow the church, or do we do what, what is the right thing? Well, they can't do that, because our Lord didn't will it. 
So it means it's their private opinion. Um, you know, I have to be respectful. It's the authorities of the church. But it does mean I have to agree. And um, only the pope and the bishops, the bishop, the individual bishop, and the bishops in general enjoy the charism of infallibility. And that's uh, when they mean to define something. Now, you remember in Pope Francis's case, I don't know if he's still serious about this, but he said he never meant to define anything. So that kind of leaves you free, in my opinion. Um, the uh, I'm writing a thing on synodality, actually. And, you know, synods are useful practical tools, and they have more to do with charity than they do with doctrine. You know, how you live this in, a, in an ordinary human context. But they can't change doctrine, because doctrine is reality. And uh, once they try to change reality, you know, let's say they should decide, after all this fighting we've had over contraception, that the world has changed. I heard this argument in 1968. The whole world has changed, therefore we have to change our teaching. Well, if we change that teaching, that undersets all of objective morals, as is very clear in Protestant denominations. Once they did away with the birth teaching on birth control, the sky was the limit, because there's no objective morals anymore. So we have to be respectful of our church, but if it's uh, unless it's an infallible statement, and that could be, as you know, from ordinary magisterium, but still, if it's uh, contrary to tra tradition and contrary to doctrine, what we've always taught, it can't be um, an infallible statement. Because uh, it would be people speaking as individuals, not as uh, from their own personal opinions, not from the long tradition of the church as such. Ralph is watching us on YouTube, and he has a question about temptation. He wants to know, when is the cutoff between a temptation and becoming a sin? <laughs> well, I know. That's hard to tell. Um, psychologically, it's hard to tell. What I always tell people is that if you would do the deed, except for the fact that there are people around or a situation in which uh, you might be prosecuted or something like that, then that's... A, a sin of thought but if you're just bulling it around in your head you know that's not a sin of thought that's still a temptation and the way St. Thomas puts it is uh, it has to result from a decision and um, action of the will so unless you will the deed just thinking about it uh, which used to be called in rather fancy Moral theology terms morose delectation. <laughs> Just thinking and turning it around in your head is not a commitment of the will to do it. Uh, the will has to commit to do it, and then it becomes a sin, not a temptation. And Clarice says, I'm struggling with a serious habitual sin. What can I do? All right. Well, you know, you have all the means open to you in the church of prayer and the sacraments. Uh, if it's a habitual sin that's based on a situation, let's say internet pornography, I would uh, try to develop the ability to avoid the occasion in which I find the temptation for this sin. So, for example, uh, I just get out and walk around the block or something <laughs> to, 
you know, distract myself with something else. Or another thing is if it's a sin of pleasure, find a real pleasure that isn't sinful to do to replace that sinful pleasure. So there are lots of things that you can do, but the most important thing is to try to distract yourself by something else that you also really enjoy doing, but it wouldn't be sinful. Russell wants to know why he can't cohabitate with his girlfriend, because they're in love. Well, there's love and there's love, right? There's two levels of love. There's a passion, which many people have even committed murder over, and then there's the will again. We're back to the old will again. And the reason you can't cohabit with your girlfriend is because the freedom of the will to experience what true human love means, which in the case of marriage is spousal love, where everything is a gift of reception, there's no exploitation, can only be guaranteed by the commitment to marriage. And also by practicing a certain abstinence um, regarding when you participate in the action in which you ratify the commitment to marriage, which of course would be sexuality for children's sake. So the way uh, you can avoid it is to realize that until you've committed yourself and can't walk away, you're not really in the fullness of what we mean by love. You have an emotion, a storm of emotion. That's not the same as a commitment of the will. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Malady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, God bless. <laughs>